All right, well, good morning. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors. Glad you chose to come and join us this morning uh, for worship. And I wanted to start with a science experiment because I didn't think we had enough um, talk of science and things in our lives right now. So I wanted to alleviate that, that vacuum that you're probably feeling. Um, but I've got some really nice, pure, filtered, 100% H2O water. And I want you to imagine that I'm pouring this and I'm going to, I'm dripping on my shoe. That's no big deal. I'm going to offer that to you. Key word here, this is pure, nothing but H2O, which stands for something in science. Hydrogen, oxygen, something like that, right? All right, so if I was to find you and offer you that nice, pure, filtered water on a hot day or after you'd been working at some point outside or something like that, it would be a welcome thing, right? You'd be excited. You'd want to take that. Uh, now, I'm going to try a different picture. This picture, equally pure, filtered, just the same H2O molecules, except I've got something I'd like to introduce into it. See, I got this dropper. It also contains water, but I got this from a different source. See, when I got here early this morning, I went into the restroom, and I reached down into the toilet with my dropper, and I filled it up. The toilet was clean. We, it had been cleaned professionally by my son, Andrew, <laughs> just yesterday, right? So we know it's, it's extra clean. Again, just water. It just came from a different source. It's that, uh, that toilet water that we all love. Oh, I put two. I meant to just put one. Pretend you didn't see that. So one drop of toilet water. Again, same H2O. Hot day. You've been working. And here I come with a big smile on my face <laughs> to offer you some water. Now, how excited are you about this second offering? Some of you are crazy enough to drink it anyway. I know. That's why I didn't bring anyone up here, because I was afraid you'd ruin my illustration. <laughs> but you've got this, this second batch that has one drop of toilet water in it. Even though you, the water's clean, you're not going to touch that, right? If you have a choice, you're not going to touch that water. Um, it only takes one drop of impurity for that whole thing to be impure. For you to consider that whole glass something you don't want to touch, that one drop is enough, isn't it? Well, growing up, uh, one of the things I didn't like in school were true-false tests because a true-false test always kind of threw me for a loop because I overthink everything. So if you're reading a question and you overthink it, if you read as much into it as you possibly can, if you think just because the, the teacher didn't put a comma where they were supposed to, that makes the whole thing false, right? So I was one of those people. I was looking for even the smallest thing that I could talk myself into being false because that would mean the whole thing is false. It's kind of a, a similar idea. It only takes a little bit of false to make the whole statement a problem, to make the whole statement false. And as we're working our way through 2 Peter in our series, last week we saw that Peter wanted his readers to have confidence in the truth of Jesus. 
right? Confidence in the truth of his identity as the Son of God, his power, his provision of salvation, his grace toward us. And it's very important to Peter that we know we have equal standing before God in Christ. So Peter, because of who he is, didn't have special um, access to God, even though he was with God. Christ in person, right? He didn't have special access to God in his relationship with God, the forgiveness that he had found in God. There's nothing special about someone that stands up here in their access to God. We all have that equal standing, equal access to God through his son Jesus. And he wants us to know that we've been given everything we need to live the life that God has called us to live in anticipation of Christ's return. Right, So last week, the truth of Jesus' return, and we need to be living in a way that anticipates that return so that as when he comes, we are found faithful doing the things that God wants us to do. Right, And he's starting this letter on the foundation of truth. And in our passage today, as he gets into chapter 2, he, he begins a, a little bit of a transition. From the confidence you can have in the truth of Christ to a warning to be on the lookout false teachers. So he wants us to have this foundation. He wants us to understand the truth of Christ, but then he also is transitioning to this warning about false teachers. It's like he's warning us to always be ready to do a true false test when it comes to those we allow to influence us spiritually. We need to always have that true false test ready with those that are that are teaching us, and he warns that there will be false teachers that try to introduce impurity into the message and the truth of Jesus, and one drop is too much, right? One drop of impurity is too much. It contaminates the teach. so we need to be sure that we, what we allow to influence us is based on the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of Scripture. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to dive into your word and to read uh, these encouragements, but also these warnings. And God, I just pray that today as you speak to us, whatever it is you want to say, whatever reason you brought us, that we would be open to that. We'd be ready to be obedient to you. We'd be ready to take next steps that you lead us to. Uh, and you'd be uh, ready, that we would be ready to allow you to further our understanding of what it means to be where of these false teachers um, that will be around us. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start today with these transition statements at the end of chapter 1. So if you're looking for Second Peter, it's going to be at the very back, and there's just, just going to be a sliver of Bible left um, toward the end. You can look at your table of contents. It's kind of hard to find. It's only a few pages in your Bible, but it's going to be way toward the back. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, Peter is staking his claim. He's just said, hey, listen, I'm an eyewitness to these things. I know that they happen. He's refuting the accusations that are coming his way, that he's just making up stories, that he's making up myths to get followers, that all this Jesus stuff is just made up. And he's saying, no, no. And he further bolsters uh, the confidence the readers can have in him by revealing these origins of Scripture, by talking about these origins of the prophecies of Scripture. Now, remember, who, the people that Peter are talking to, Scripture for them is what? It's the Old Testament. 
They didn't have the New Testament as we have it. They were just starting to circulate these letters among the churches, among each other that had been written. They were powerful. They were using them to be taught and to know how to practice their faith, but they didn't understand it all to be uh, Scripture just yet. When he talks about Scripture and about prophecy, he's talking about the Old Testament. And he wants them to know that they can have confidence in the Old Testament because it comes from God. It's not made up by man. Not just someone's ideas, doesn't have a man-made agenda behind it. And it's something that uh, prophets in the Old Testament dealt with, these, these people that, would, that did have their own agenda, that did have their own words and pretended to be prophets of God. In the book of Jeremiah, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And so Peter's playing off this kind of warning, this phrase, to say that the truths of Jesus are not like the prophets God warned his people about in Jeremiah's day. The truths of Jesus are not these made-up myths that people are accusing him of creating. The truths of Scripture and of Jesus comes from God through men that were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that word carried along is really significant. Uh, it means literally like the wind in the sails of a ship to be carried along. So uh, God, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, was the wind in the sails of the writers of, our, of Scripture. Human writers didn't just sit down and decide on their own what to say. They spoke from God as he directed this process. And so the first key thing, and again, it, it flows out of what Peter's been trying to do all of chapter 1. The first key thing that we can see in this passage is you can have confidence in Scripture and in the truth of Jesus. You can have confidence in Scripture and in the truth of Jesus. Peter wants his readers to be grounded in that truth, to have that firm, firmly set in their mind and in their heart. He wants us to be grounded in the confidence of God's Word because I think Peter is a good leader and a good shepherd at this point. We have a lot of examples of Peter just kind of doing things before he thinks, and he's learned from that, and now he has become a good leader, a good shepherd. He wanted people to learn the truth about Jesus, to grow in maturity, to, to be better equipped to follow him and to understand what it meant to live the life that he had called them to. He's been dealing with these challenges to the message, the ones saying, again, that he's just making up these stories to gather followers. So Peter's defending himself, and he's defending the truth of Jesus right here in this transition statement. And that's been the whole point of how he began the letter. We must be grounded in the truth of who Jesus is, who we are in Christ, and the revelation of the truth of God we find in Scripture. Peter wanted to look after his, these followers of Jesus because of the need to protect them from those accusers, those false teachers. So before we move on, an important question to ask yourself and to sort of check your own heart and your own uh, situation is, do you trust Scripture? Are you growing in your knowledge of God's Word? Do you have a relationship with God through the saving power of Jesus? Because that is the beginning point. Peter's saying this is the foundation for how to handle what I'm about to say. I want you to be sure you're grounded in this truth. You have this foundation because what I'm about to say might be a little tough. Okay, so that's where you have to start is do you trust Scripture? Do you um, grow in your knowledge of God's Word? Are you pursuing the truth that He's revealed in, in the Bible? And as we move into chapter 2, we see how He starts to warn us about these false teachers. 
In verses 1, and three, 1 through 3, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So the second thing we see in this passage, there will be false teachers. They are a reality. There will be false teachers. And again, he links this warning to the history of the Jews and the Old Testament prophets. He said there arose false teachers among the people, talking about the Jewish people. There will be, just like that, false teachers among you, those that uh, follow Jesus. This warning we read from Jeremiah, it was not talking about the foreign-born prophets that, that worshipped other gods. Those guys were, that, they were problems. Okay? The Israelites had a lot of trouble with them when they went to take the promised land and, and they allowed some of that teaching to, to infiltrate. But what he, what he is talking about here, this passage in Jeremiah, is in the middle of a section talking about the prophets of Israel. So there's some within God's people that were claiming to be prophets of God that simply were not. They were not speaking on behalf of God at all. They were speaking from their own, their own agenda. And the false prophets that were the most dangerous were the ones that rose up from within God's people. And Peter says, just like those prophets, followers of Jesus will have false teachers among them. They will have inaccuracies teaching. Their influence will be destructive. One version even says in this verse, they will secretly teach wrong things about God that will ruin people. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's kind of scary, as a matter of fact, isn't it? It doesn't make you smile as you head to lunch today. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dire warning. There will be false teachers. And he gives us some characteristics of these false teachers and consequences of their teaching. First, they will be crafty. They will be crafty, and I don't mean like scrapbooking on Friday night with your friends, right? Not that kind of crafty. They will be uh, cunning, deceitful, scheming, professional liars, uh, manipulators. They will be crafty. They don't walk into the room and wear a false teacher badge so you can easily identify them. They don't make it obvious who they are. Jesus calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. You think about that imagery. There's a wolf among the sheep. He dresses just like the sheep so that he seems safe, but ultimately what? He's looking for an easy meal, right? Looking for destruction. <clears throat> they come in secretly to bring these heresies. They cleverly mix their stories with the truth. Much of what they say may sound right, but there's enough falseness in it that it leads people astray. It leads to destruction. The enemy is crafty. So as God's people, we have to always be diligent and on guard. We have to be diligent and on guard, and we have to have the foundation of truth in Scripture and in Christ that Peter talked about. So they will be crafty. Secondly, false teachers are not willing to submit to Jesus as their master. He says they don't submit to the one that bought them as their master. Jesus has authority over all, and as his followers, we submit to him as Lord, and our obedience and devotion is to him first. That's what it means to have a, a Lord, a master. Our devotion is to him first. Our old self is gone. The new has come. We live for him. 
not for ourselves. The false teachers may call themselves followers of Jesus, but they're not willing to accept Jesus being their master, being their Lord, even though he bought them. That's talking about his sacrificial death on the cross. He paid the penalty for sin. He bought them. It's possible for them to be redeemed, but they will not submit to him as Lord. So, again, this verse implies that these false teachers will present themselves as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, but they have not surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. They operate out of their own pride, their own authority, and their own agenda. So they will be crafty. They will not be submitted to Jesus as their master. And third, they will be popular because they tell people what they want to hear. They will be popular. The verse says many will follow their sensuality. It it means ultimately they give permission for people to do whatever satisfies their desires, whatever feels good, whatever seems right to you. Sound familiar at all? Permission to do whatever satisfies your desires. And it's physical and otherwise, emotional, mental. It encompasses all of life. Whatever feels right to you, whatever you think is right, whatever you want to believe, this is okay. That's a false teacher message. And they compromise the truth of God to allow for that behavior that seems right, that feels right. They compromise God's truth. So just like all of us, without the saving power of Jesus as Lord of our life, We're destined for separation from God, destined for that destruction that comes with separation from God. They operate out of selfish motives. They follow their own desires and interests without being submitted to Christ. They're only interested in doing what they want. Their message and behavior will lead them to tell people what they want to hear so they can gain followers. And their message, it says, will lead people to blaspheme the truth. So these people that are false teachers will actually cause the real truth of Christ to be denigrated, to be blasphemed. It will cause people to talk against the truth of the gospel. It says their real motivation is greed. Their real motivation is is self-fulfillment. They're just out for their own interest. They will say and do anything to exploit any that will listen. And Peter's warning here is that there will be false teachers. Again, it's all, it's all sunshine and roses today, right? Scary. There will be false teachers. Thankfully, none of these characteristics are true in the modern church, right? It's quite the opposite. We're living through the truth of this passage. There are false teachers. And this isn't just about pastors. It's not just about people you see on TV talking about the Bible. Anyone that you allow to influence you spiritually in your life becomes a teacher, becomes an influencer. There are false teachers. There are those that claim to be followers of Jesus that are leading people, leading churches to forgetting the truth of Scripture and following and doing whatever feels good, whatever seems right, secretly and cleverly driving their own agenda without being submitted to the authority of Christ or His Word. And these teachings have led followers of Jesus to have a dramatically reduced influence in our culture. The real truth of Christ is being denigrated and blasphemed and pushed aside because of the false teaching that we see. And Peter's admonition in these verses is as relevant today as it has been at any other point in history. We've seen his warning come true, and many Christians are confused and misled by false teaching. Now, you you may think I'm going to give you a list. Here's all the false teaching in America. I'm not going to do that. 
but I am going to show you where you can find the truth. One question that might pop into your head, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he take out these false teachers? And Peter seems to anticipate that question. Verse 1 and verse 3, he flatly states, the destruction of these false teachers is assured, and he wants to remind them of God's judgment on wickedness from the past, and he continues to elaborate a little bit on this in the next few verses. So we're going to read verses 4 through 10 to see how he continues to expand on this. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So the third thing we see in this passage is that we can trust God to judge evil and reward faithfulness. We can trust God to judge evil and reward faithfulness. And Peter gives us three examples. He starts with the angels that sinned. Now, all three of these examples are sermons by themselves, and I'm not going to be able to really dive in probably as much as you might want me to to explain these. But this first one, the angels that sinned, can be a little confusing, but it's obvious that at some point there were angels that rebelled against God and challenged his authority over them. They opposed God and they were thrown from his presence to serve the enemy until the final judgment. And the important thing here is not exactly what happened in that situation. The important thing is that they opposed God and they were not spared, even as angels. There was a judgment for their disobedience, a judgment for the evil, um, even with the angels that sinned. The second example, the ancient world in the time of Noah... Genesis chapter 6 through 8, we see the recounting of, this, of the great flood. Mankind had become wicked. God was grieved. He was set to wipe mankind from the earth and start over. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And what did God do? He rescued Noah and his family by, getting him, by telling him to build the ark. And this ark construction lasted for decades. This wasn't something he did in a couple of weeks as a project in his yard. It lasted for decades. And this entire time, people were asking him, what are you doing? Noah's warning them. God is sending destruction. You need to be ready. You need to turn to God. You need to be obedient to God. Nobody did all that time. And when the time came for the flood, Noah went into the ark and closed the door, and everyone else perished. And after that destruction, we have the promise of the rainbow that God will never again destroy the earth with a flood. Again, God judged the evil and he rewarded faithfulness. We can have confidence that God will judge evil and reward faithfulness. The third example, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. Abraham and Lot are making their way to the land that God would show them, the promised land, and Lot settled in Sodom and Gomorrah for a little while. So they were figuring out how to deal with all their possessions that had grown as they traveled. And so Lot is settling in Sodom and Gomorrah for a little while, a place known for its wickedness and its sinful ways. And God destroys the cities, turning them to ashes. 
as an example of what happens to the ungodly. But God spared Lot, and he gave him and his family a chance to escape. They didn't all make it because they weren't all obedient, but he gave them a chance to escape. So we can trust God to judge evil and reward faithfulness. Peter gives us three examples. And it's important to point out here that Peter, again, having just spent an entire chapter, of course, he didn't write it as a chapter. It was the, in the beginning of his letter. But having just spent a lot of time talking about his qualifications as an eyewitness of Jesus, talking about how you can trust Scripture, what are the examples that he uses? He uses the Old Testament to further prove his point about the dangers of false teachers. And the reason that it's important, the reason that's a key, is it carries with it an assumption of truth in regard to these things he's using as examples. He doesn't just say we should have confidence in Scripture. He then demonstrates it by using three examples from Scripture, from the Old Testament. And there's an assumption of truth. We see this throughout the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament relied on, had confidence in, and did not question the truth of the scriptures we have in the Old Testament. Peter even says here, because of these three examples, you can have confidence that God will deal with these false prophets in his way and in his time. And it, the truth he uses to back himself up is examples from the Old Testament. And these examples also give us hope because we have the angels that didn't sin, right? They're still serving God and hanging out with God in his presence. We have Noah and his family who are found faithful. We have Lot and his family who are found faithful. Uh, it gives us hope because they were spared this destruction because of their faith. They weren't perfect by any stretch, but they trusted God and they sought to live their lives to serve and please him. So, again, you can trust God to judge evil and reward faithfulness. Look at the promise again in verse 9. He says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And he adds this exclamation point in verse 10, especially those who indulge in the lust of the defiling passion and despise authority, those that just do whatever they want and won't submit to the authority of Scripture or Jesus in their life. Right? A reference back to that description of the false teachers who encourage their followers to do the same, to do whatever feels good, to think whatever feels right, and be unwilling to surrender to the authority of Jesus in their life. So you can trust God to reward evil. I mean, judge evil. Woo, that was a bad slip. To judge evil and reward faithfulness. And again, up to this point in the letter, Peter's been encouraging us as followers of Jesus because through God's power, we have everything we need to, live, to lead the lives of godliness that he's called us to and to grow in grace. And in chapter 2, he transitions to this warning against the destruction that will find those who don't submit to that power, these false teachers that attempt to lead people away from the truth. Again, it's a sobering warning. It's a bit scary. A good summary would be, where God's truth is present, counterfeit is not far behind. Wherever God is at work, the enemy seeks to infiltrate and place false teachers inside the church. The deception is masterful. The majority of the message is right. But there's that small drop of impurity, that poison that is enough to lead people away to destruction. It's just like our drinking water example. We've got to be sure of the purity of the teaching that we allow to influence us and guide us. And I've got to say it's a little bit scary to be the guy that teaches this sermon this week, right? It's a heavy weight. It's a big burden. Um, 
I never really liked true-false tests, like I said at the beginning, because I could talk myself into thinking the answer was false because I could maneuver something false about it into my head. Some small part of that question must be off, thereby making the whole thing false. But Peter says the true-false test is absolutely critical when it comes to your spiritual journey and knowing how to faithfully follow Jesus. You need to always be applying the true-false test to anything that you hear to anything that someone says is true about Jesus or Scripture or the Bible or how to follow him. But how can you know? Where do you start? Well, again, just like Peter says, you start with Scripture. You can have confidence in God's Word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's where your search for truth begins and ends. You have to be diligent in your own spiritual journey to dig into God's Word to allow him to interact and teach you and never just take for granted what anyone else tells you. From this stage, from your TV, from a podcast, someone talking to you about spiritual things at work, never take for granted anything anyone says to be the truth. Always apply it to the true-false test of Scripture through the guidance of the Holy Spirit that you have in your own life because we all have equal access to God through his son Jesus. Never take for granted what anyone tells you. Not, not that long ago, we were doing a survey through the book of Acts, and you remember at one point, we landed on this one group of people called the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, and the Bereans are listed in Scripture. Um, they don't have a big part in Scripture, but they're noticed in Scripture because they're called noble because they are eager and diligent in their pursuit of learning about God. They're both eager and diligent. And what it says there is that they eagerly listened to everything they could hear, but then they would take it back and they would apply it against what they knew to be true in Scripture. They would study together to be sure that this exciting thing they heard was actually right compared to what they had um, in God's Word. We're called to be just like those Bereans. Peter's saying the exact same thing because there will be false teachers. There will be things that we hear that are untrue we got to be on guard and watch out for these characteristics that Peter has listed. They'll be crafty. They'll not be submitted to the authority of Jesus. They'll be telling people whatever they want to hear, even if it goes against God's word. So we can't ever let our guard down because something sounds good or feels right or is the popular way to think in the moment. As you navigate this journey, we have to be faithful to this truth and understanding that he will judge evil and reward faithfulness. Now, I heard a story about a couple that moved to New York. They were very excited about this new um, journey they were on, this new adventure. They moved to New York City. They were all of the things that you can have access to there, you know, the shows and the restaurants and all the exciting things that are part of a big city. And right after they moved in, an envelope got slipped into their mail slot. It just said free on the outside. And they were like, wow, this is really nice. Someone welcoming, welcoming us to the neighborhood. And they reached it, opened it up, and they had two tickets to the latest Broadway show inside this envelope for that weekend. So they're thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. So they uh, make plans. They get all ready. They head to the show on that weekend. They enjoy it. You know, they kind of thought maybe these tickets are fraud or something, so they didn't know until they actually got in their seats that it was going to work, and they're super excited about what they're able to participate in through this show. 
as they're coming back to their door, they're literally having a conversation about, I wonder why someone would do something like that for us. That was so nice. That was so welcoming, and we have no idea who it was. They open their door, and everything is topsy-turvy, jumbled around. While they were gone, someone had been in their apartment rooting through everything. All of their valuables were missing. And written on the mirror in their entryway with lipstick was, now you know. Someone had tricked them with this carrot so that they could get them out of the apartment unknowingly, living in an area where this kind of thing had happened, and then all their valuables were stolen while they were enjoying the show. That's a lot like false teachers. False teachers know what our culture wants to hear, and they appeal to our most basic desires. They disguise themselves as representatives of the truth. They claim to want to enrich your life, but in the end, they only want to enrich themselves, and they exact a high cost from those that they deceive. Here's the good news. Jesus is a teacher that you can trust completely. He's that first bottle of pure water, no impurity. He offers the gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life because He truly loves us and He wants the best for us. When we accept His authority as Lord and Savior, that's the first step in protecting yourself from the deceptive gifts that false teachers offer. And then you got to do what Peter says. you got to know the truth of Scripture, have confidence, have a foundation in the truth of Scripture and in the truth of who Jesus is. Studying the Scriptures, testing what you hear, and growing in your faith are essential tools to keeping your journey with God on track. They're not just good ideas. They're essential tools. Remember, in the face of this dire warning that Peter gives us in chapter 2, in chapter 1, he spent the whole time reminding us that God has given us everything we need to live the life that he's called us to. It's that foundation of truth. It's the foundation of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he does in and through you when you submit to his lordship in your life. So have you surrendered to that authority? Have you allowed something or someone else to influence you that doesn't line up with scripture? Do you go somewhere other than God and his word when you're dealing with hard questions or issues in life? Don't give access to these destructive schemes of the enemy. Repent of looking for wisdom anywhere other than God and seek him in his word. The foundation of truth in scripture and who Jesus is is what Peter says we have been given to combat these false teachers that will be true. They will be here. They are here. And we have to live knowing the truth so that we can combat that and not allow it to, to influence us in the wrong directions. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you so much for today and for the opportunity we have to know you and to worship you, to know the truth of who you are, to, to have the gift of your word and the truth that it holds. And God, I just admit that there are times when hard questions come along and I just try to do it on my own wisdom and my own thinking. Or maybe I'll read a book that's loosely based on Christian principles. But God, what we really need to do is dig into your word. And so I just pray that we would understand the primary importance of the, the role that Scripture should play in our lives. 
And God, that we would surrender to your lordship in us, that we would be beacons of light, not just following the latest trends or the things that feel good, but really understanding the truth of what your word says so that we can be the people you've called us to be. And uh, just pray as we respond to you in these next moments that we would be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this is